I go to the swimming hall. My heart's in my throat every single time I'm in the locker room. I keep going because I figure I will go and I will make it normal so that somebody else will be able to be normal in there. Anxiety about having either violence come to me because of my transgender status or just because of the kind of man that I am. In this episode of Finland Through the Looking Glass, comedian Jamie McDonald opens up about his experiences as a transgender person living in Finland and the public discourse around recent transgender legal reforms. This is Finland Through the Looking Glass, a podcast hosted by Denise Wall about life in Finland through the eyes of foreign background residents. Hi. I'm Denise Wall, and I'm ensconced in one of my favorite places, a comfy corner spot here at Enchanté Café in downtown Helsinki. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down for a chat with Canadian-born comedian Jamie MacDonald. And before anyone thinks that I've been co-opted by the Canadian-Finnish lobby, let me declare that that is absolutely not the case. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Now, Jamie, you've been very public about your identity as a transgender person. Did you begin that transition in Finland or back in Canada? I started it in Finland, yeah, in about 20, 2013, 2014, around there. And what was your journey like? Did you feel that you were uh, alone when you started that journey, or were you able to connect with that community here in Finland? Well, that's a good question. I probably connected more with some friends of, I, of mine who I know, um, many of whom live abroad. Uh, and then I connected with a lot of people online, mostly because I think I was reading a lot in English and uh, watching YouTube videos in English. And so uh, I would occasionally post something on like one of the Facebook groups that exist in Finland. And people can reply in English, but of course, like it, 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 when your language skills are not that strong, then you're distant from, mm. from the real conversation that's happening right and what about what's the situation now do you feel like you're more integrated into that community i'm a lot more integrated but that's mm, that's maybe for a couple of reasons <laughs> one i mean i'm especially integrated because i'm kind of known so that means i have a i have like a kind of a, a, a like now now i'm doing it yes. you know i'm doing, I'm doing my finglish uh, i have a, a, even an exceptional kind of relationship to the community as it were and then my finnish is getting a lot better uh, which means that i have real direct access to those conversations a little bit more congratulations uh, our <laughs> well, last, sure. our, last our last guest said that uh, finnish uh, you know mastering the finnish language is the last stop on the road to integration so it would seem that you've arrived. It's close. It's close there. <laughs> Now, you're a comedian, and one question that I've had in my mind about what you do is, is there a natural fit between your profession as a comedian and your life and experiences as a transgender person? Certainly for me, there is. And, I mean, actually, uh, something that I'm writing about, I'm, I'm currently working on a PhD, Uh, at Uni Arts Helsinki, and, and the topic that I'm working with is the production of emotions in stand-up comedy by minority comedians, specifically transgender comedians, specifically me, because it's artistic research. Uh, like, not every you don't have to be um, a minority or have some kind of um, identity that is notable in some way in order to be funny or to be a comedian, but you really get a lot to work with if you have that. Uh, which can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. 
because on one hand, okay, I have this unique experience that everybody in the room will be interested in, so that gives me like you know an advantage to begin with. And on the other hand, like at what point do I start just exploiting mm. that and talking about nothing else and being kind of like a, a just that thing on on stage for people? So are, are you saying that you try to also bring other kinds of material into your routines? Oh, absolutely, mm. very much so. And uh, and also to bring other people who are not me into the scene, so I'm not the only one representing, uh, you know, that that kind of group of people. Now, uh, I was struck by what you said about accessibility to the community. Uh, initially, it was a bit difficult because you you didn't have a command of the Finnish language, and that makes you, like many of us in this corner of the cafe, uh, part of a language minority here in Finland. And as a, a transgender person, you're also part of the, the sexual and gender minority here in Finland. And during my reading, before we settled down for this chat, I came across a really interesting report that was released late last year by researchers at the Finnish Institute for Health and Welfare, the THL. And they uh, aimed to provide an intersectional analysis of the experiences of foreigners in Finland who also happen to be sexual and gender minorities. What they concluded was that people who are members of multiple minorities, so with intersectional identities, they experience more discrimination and unequal treatment than people who don't belong to several minority groups. Does this speak to your experience at all? Uh, unfortunately, yeah, I would say it does. The, I mean, one thing that I sometimes tell people that often makes them very surprised um, is that, you know, for me, it has been over the time that I've been lived in Finland. It's been, if I was just a language minority or just transgender, being just transgender would be easier than just be, like yeah, everybody's eyebrows go up. No, it's harder to be in for me in Finland, a language minority than trans because as a trans person I still have access to everything it's a little harder but I still have access and as a language minority you're just cut out of so much of public life um, and of course you can you can work on that you can you can do something take steps to fix it um, but I for me it's been much harder to uh, you know it's harder to get work it's harder to even just understand what the political conversation is that's going on um, Oh, reading any kind of bureaucracy. Uh, I mean, all kinds of things happen. Like you misread something, and then then all of a sudden you owe money because you you know you broke a rule, kind of thing <laughs> like that. That sort of stuff happens all the time. Yes. Uh, and then also when it comes to the doctors, like now I'm fortunate that I have a Finnish partner, and sometimes I grab him and drag him along with me to the doctor because I'm not so great at advocating for myself at the doctors. And he is, and plus he has the language uh, advantage that he has the home language here. Even though I know that in what, many ways English is a major advantage as like a you know a, a almost global home language, um, certainly a Western home language. Now I, I I think it's it's super interesting that you say that, and I was going to ask you about some of the the tools and the coping mechanisms that you use to deal with that kind of. Uh, Uh, intersectionality and being, um, for want of a better word, an, an underdog in in many different circumstances. So, is there any prescription? Hmm. I think. Um, well, one is to have, you know, being surrounded by good people is. 
fantastic. And I love being surrounded by immigrants to Helsinki as well as, you know, people who have lived there here their entire lives. I find it really important to have a very, like, you know, different people in my friend group who, who understand, you know, different aspects of what's going on. And, uh, and, and you, for me at least, you just have to try somehow to get the language going. Me, like, as a native English speaker, I think sometimes we find it a little bit difficult to live in a second language because we're not used to, we're not used to it from childhood. So we're not used to the humiliation that comes along with it. And aside from other coping mechanisms, I mean, just don't be on the internet so much. And, and also for me, just being somebody who works in public anyway and who works on stages anyway and, and has, like, I'm known uh, enough uh, that I can go places and people, like, know who I am. And I think that makes a huge difference because, you know, I'm, I've, I've made myself somehow important. Now, I want to circle back to the THL report. One of the things that the researchers did was that they recommended strengthening the skills and knowledge of different public professionals. You talked about dealing with bureaucracy, as well as healthcare workers and the police on the whole subject of sexual orientation and gender diversity and expression, as well as cultural diversity. Do you see the, the needle moving in that area at all? Yeah, definitely in some places. Uh, we have a, a kid now, uh, is my partner who gave birth, and you could tell that almost all of the staff had had training in how to deal with gender minorities because they took instruction and then they went, yep, that's fine. And it wasn't like you didn't have to explain everything, you didn't have to um, argue about anything, uh, and everybody did quite well with it. And from what I've seen over the, like, the 20 years that I've been here is that it's, it's kind of less seen as like, me and my fault when I walk into somewhere and I can't communicate exactly the way I want to. I see a lot more kind of outreach um, in many places. Now I will let you have a sip of your coffee and dive into that scrumptious looking pain au chocolat. And uh, we'll come back. And when we do, we will dive into the public debate uh, swirling around recent legal reforms that strengthened transgender rights here in Finland. This is Finland Through the Looking Glass, a podcast hosted by Denise Wall. We're back with Jamie McDonald and we've got our tea and coffee topped up by the wonderful guys running Enchante Café. Um, but let's move on with our conversation. Now, as many in our audience probably know, Finland recently passed new transgender legislation, making it easier for people over the age of 18 to change their gender by self-declaration. How big of a victory has this been for the community? Um, on one hand, very, very big. Um, really, that's that's the kind of the core of something that has been a really big problem. Because what, what happens beforehand is that when the when the medical community is able to gatekeep when somebody can say that they are trans and in, in what ways they are trans, um, then it takes so much time and so much energy away from people 
who otherwise need to be living their lives. Like the idea that you kind of, you almost have to take off some years mentally, like of, of, of your life for other things, just to immerse yourself in this project of transitioning. And it, it's very wasteful. <laughs> the old practice used to be that before they would let you get hormones or surgery, you had to do the, live, the real life experience. So you had to live as that gender for like a year or two in some places. Now you haven't got any, you know, any hormones in any, and you know, you've got clothing basically yes. and mannerisms and that's supposed to provide you with an authentic idea of whether you need to do this or not like you're you're going to get negative mm. reactions all the time uh so you know that kind of thing doesn't really work on the other hand uh the fact that um intersex individuals have been uh overlooked by the law and, and uh non-binary people have been overlooked by the law and that trans kids have been overlooked those are you know there's still plenty to do like for me it is crazy that there would still be okay to perform surgery on intersex babies mm. because I mean that is a body that has naturally arisen through the course of birth and there's nothing actually medically wrong with the child yet now I'm intrigued by uh, what you said was the sort of rule that obtained before this this kind of legislation was introduced in Finland which is that the recommendation was for people who wanted to transition to a different gender to so, sort of spend a year or two walking around in the clothing and affecting the mannerisms of, of the target gender. And what I want to ask you is, is there some value in a kind of exploratory period where you try to figure out if this is really what you really want? And the reason I ask this is because we sometimes hear cases about people who want to retransition. You know, they have some kind of regret over the choice that they've made. Would that be a good argument for a sort of a slower pace of, of transitioning? Um, an exploratory phase is going to happen anyway. But I think what's important is that the, the type of exploration isn't uh, set by um, medical standards. So it's not you have to do this kind of exploration, but rather that, you know, if you're doing your own exploration, that's, that's quite a lot. And... Yeah, I think people people who um, are exploring and then think, okay, I'm going to transition, and then they do, and they go, no, this isn't actually for me. Uh, I have the utmost respect uh, for those people who are working on that in their lives. It took me 13 years between first seeing an image of a trans man and then deciding to transition. And, you know, in my, I know it was there in my head the whole time in various ways and also I expressed it in various phases going through masculine and feminine so these like explorations can happen over naturally over the over the course of a long time when we talk about very young people of course they haven't had that much time to explore um, and uh, of course people want to you know make sure that that uh, that kids are doing what is what is right for them but i think like the care for kids is already still uh it, it's quite cautious i remember following the public debate about the legislation online as well as in social media and i have to say <laughs> there were times i regretted logging into twitter for example i mean and a lot of it seemed to follow what struck me as a global trend 
to sort of pit transgender women, for example, against uh, cis women uh, and to feed fears that transgender women were just men pretending to be women in order to gain access to restricted spaces like women's changing rooms or, or saunas. This is one of the top trending conversations uh, on Finnish Twitter. How did you feel about some of these discussions on that subject? I mean, they're hideous. I see them every day. Um, and you're right, they are definitely global. They kind of started very concentratedly in the UK, um, especially with particular journalists who were, you know, very strong uh, feminist voices in the 90s and aughts. And then as this trans question came up, they t- picked a side and it's been kind of slowly snowballing uh, since then and gone to the US and everything. But I mean, I'm I'm used to it. Um, I also know not to log into Twitter after a certain time of day because my adrenaline will spike and I won't be able to sleep. I mean, the idea that somebody pretends to be trans so that he can go into a female locker room and uh, assault somebody, uh, the trans law does not change whether that is possible or not. You know, intent to do harm will always be a more important legal argument than um identity so it, it just this this stuff it really is unhinged and the and the linking of trans people to pedophilia for me is a very interesting argument because a it's exactly like what was happening um during the the aids crisis uh with gay people um all gay men were pedophiles uh apparently and, and groomers and groomers yes. and you know if gay people were teachers this was like uh very wrong somehow um they were recru- recruiting children but the interesting thing for me is that up until very recently um it has not been that morally outrageous to be violent towards trans people especially trans women um uh, because somehow they are abject enough that they uh they they brought it upon themselves by being who they are. But lately it's become much less acceptable to be violent towards trans people. However, it is never unacceptable to be violent to a pedophile. So I feel like linking this groomer argument is an excuse to retain the ability to do violence. On a societal level, we have a real problem with taking down people who have done bad things if they are in any way in positions of power because actually we want to be them and to take them down means to take down the possibility that we can be like them you know and which is i don't know uh, one thing i'd like to ask you uh sort of following on this discussion that we're just having about the discourse over transgender rights and and the status of transgender people and really affording them the same kind of constitutional rights uh, to which they're entitled uh, as everyone else what is it that people are missing about what it means to be transgender i think we have had for a very very long time um put in us by our culture for uh, like very widely um a feeling of disgust and a, and a feeling that there is a mental illness there and that there's a physical illness there and that therefore it's abject and it's it's um it you know it's approaching death rather than something you know normal um and i think 
I, I really think that on the, the, the kind of the, the, the thing at the bottom of it all is this like kind of disgust and fear and the fear that you too will be seen as disgusting. And, you know, when I, when I meet cisgender people or I tell such cisgender people from the stage, I'm like, you're all transphobic. And they go like, no, not me. I'm like, no, listen, you are, okay? Just, <laughs> just chill because the more you kind of sit with it and, more, and think like, hmm, maybe I am, then the better off trans people are. Mm. Uh, because trust me, most, the vast majority of trans people either have a lot of internalized transphobia we're still dealing with or uh, we've dealt with an awful lot of it. Now, I got a sense in all of that uh, chatter and all of the buzz uh, around the the subject when the legislation was being discussed and and debated that people, or many people, not everyone, or some people, were not that well informed about the issue or the legislation or how it was important in guaranteeing equal treatment for all, which is, after all, a cornerstone of the Finnish constitution. How can we fill that information gap? Unfortunately, I think people kind of have to take an interest. Uh, Like, people think all kinds of different things about how people transition or why they do. And I know because I used to think those things too until I found out the information that was real. So I understand why people don't aren't aren't that well informed. You really actually do have to read a lot and engage a lot in order to be well informed. You know, the the more we have people who are not trans kind of pontificating and 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 explaining the sort of more difficult it becomes um because you really you then you don't get into the habit of listening to the person who's at the at the core of it. And there's a funny paradox because often people think that transgender people are mentally ill. Therefore, if I say something uh, which I think is reasonable, there's a, there's a good reason to say it's not reasonable because I might be mentally ill. So you would you'd more likely listen to a cisgender person on trans issues than a transgender person because the transgender person can't be trusted. I think it's time for another quick refill and your pain au chocolat. It's still waiting. Uh, And um, when we come back, though, we'll consider the relationship between mental health issues like like anxiety and depression and being a member of Finland's sexual and gender minorities. This is Finland Through the Looking Glass, a podcast hosted by Denise Wall. And we're back from another quick break with comedian Jamie McDonald. Now, Jamie, I came across one paper by researchers, this time at Obo Academy, that was published not too long ago again in November 2022, just last year, in fact. In it, the academics suggest that members of sexual and gender minorities suffer more anxiety and depression than the general population. Has that been part of your experience? Yeah, I think sadly. Um, I did have some depression, you know, before transitioning. I don't have as much depression <laughs> after transitioning because it's a great thing to take control of some aspect of your life that isn't working for you. And then to make it work, it, it feels amazing. And it also empowers you so much. But I definitely, uh, my whole anxiety, social anxiety profile has changed very much because now instead of like failing to fit in with womanhood 
I'm uh, failing to fit in with manhood. <laughs> and oh, that's really? A, that's a what, what does that mean? You need to open that up for us. Oh, well, you know, it means that I have, I, I genuinely have anxieties about, uh, you know, am I, uh, am I good at taking care of people? Am I big enough? Um, am I, do I look like a target to anybody? Um, not for, not for any, like, you know, I would, before I would say I would worried about looking too much like a sexual target. And now I just feel like, uh, worried about looking like just a random violence target. You know, some guy doesn't like the look of you and then you're in a fist fight on a Friday evening. I don't know how to deal with that. I got to run. Um, which I, I suspect is the right way to do it. Before I thought that, uh, femininity was extremely uh, narrow and I thought that masculinity was this like wide thing that you know you, wide sandbox you could play with and then I you know got over to this side and went oh no there's another really narrow box here <laughs> and then I mean a big anxiety I go to the swimming hall I'm my heart's in my throat every single time I'm in the locker room uh, I keep going because I figure I will go and I will make it normal so that somebody else will be able to be normal in there. Part of it is, is anxiety about uh, having either violence come to me because of my transgender status or just because of the way, the kind of man that I am. And then part of it is, uh, you know, the kind of anxiety of seeing <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> I want to circle back to, to ask you in a bit how you dealt with the anxiety and how you deal with it now. But um, I wanted to just go off on a tiny tangent about the discussion that we have nowadays about what it means to be a man and, and different uh, ideals or ideas about what is a masculine man and, you know, coming up against, uh, against this term, toxic mas masculinity. What, what's your feeling about that? How do you, does that create even more anxiety for you? Or is it something that, where you think, like, that's not even my, that's not my struggle because I'm not there? I need to feel secure enough to speak up whenever I see it because uh, really one, one just has to. <laughs> it's, uh, and men really have to uh, do a lot of the work uh, because... God knows women have been working on toxic masculinity for a long time and the only people who are really going to dismantle it are men. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's on it's on us to call it out and to 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 call it out also is like not productive and not useful. Like come on, as a human being, just come to the table with everybody else. I promise you, if everybody's here, you're not going to lose out. There's enough, there's always enough for everybody. How, how have you been able to deal with the anxiety that, that comes from being a transgender person? And as you said, being in certain spaces where you think that there might be a challenge to, to who you are, how do you deal with that? What would you recommend for other people in terms of you know, different kinds of tools and, and, and skill sets to help cope with, with the anxiety. For me, this is kind of crazy, but I feel like doing stand-up comedy uh, is my coping mechanism on the anxiety. Um, I put myself out in public all the time. I come out in public all the time. And so far, bad things aren't happening, which means that maybe bad things will continue to not happen. Sometimes I have a bunch of ice cream, sometimes I play a video game, you know, and sometimes I go for a swim, which actually makes me feel better, you know. But, uh, and, you know, talking to people about it, 
and trying not to be too terminally online about it. I think it's really good to have hobbies and groups of people who are not just, you know, not just queers around you so that you can remember that like actually you you don't you don't live in a bubble uh because it's very easy for especially i think young queers to get into this like um thing where they they primarily hang out with other people like them which is totally natural and and it be, starts to become a requisite prerequisite for their safety that they're always around queer people and then for they're not around queer people they feel unsafe and on one hand, there's some truth to that, but on the other hand, you've got to practice, because there is a lot of world out there, you have to practice being out in the world in some way and prove to yourself that, hey, there's actually, my bubble is bigger than I thought it was, and maybe, you know, I can make it even bigger, and I can make my, my the space that I can live in can be more. Yeah, and I think maybe it also has to do with it inhabiting space as just a person. Yeah, taking, you know? taking your place, yeah. really. Yeah. We're coming up to the end of the, the conversation now, uh, but I just have a, f- a few questions. And what more do you think needs to be done to sort of further advance the rights and the well-being of sexual and gender minorities in Finland? The thing that really uh, needs to happen is uh, normalization. Even though we're a small group, it shouldn't be exceptional that we exist. S- stuff like having gender-neutral bathrooms is actually quite useful because architects should be building for all people. And if your design um, is hostile to a group of people, then it's not for everybody. So the way that we build our society in even these small like these well these infrastructural ways they can be like you know a form a form that's online where you have to fill out whether you're male or female or other which is not really great either uh or whether it's like a building that only has like male and female bathroom i have a, a colleague who was working at the Theater, i think was the city theater the old theaters they actually have like entire wings of the building for women and men so if you're an actor who's non-binary where are you supposed to go now We asked our previous guest, Pamela Spokes, to ask a question of the next guest, and that happens to be you. Now here's her question for you. Without knowing who our next guest will be, what would you like to ask them? How can Finland include more voices in decision-making without the words having to be in Finnish? How to include more in the decision-making? I think one of the biggest steps for that is to provide the background information for the decision making in other languages in in for instance in English but in also other languages that are that are relevant for the decision one of the huge things is that I, when i'm voting i don't know what people's platforms are and it would take me so long to read them so i'm like i you know i, I pick a few and then i try to go through them and, and see what i can but if if some or more of that information were available in English, I would make a decision that I feel confident with, or I would be able to advise uh, in a way that is confident. And now it's your turn, your turn, Jamie, uh, to pose a question for the next guest. What would be the biggest attitude change in Finland to make it a utopia? Oof, that is a big one. 
And I said this the last time, but I'm going to say it again. I don't envy the next guest. <laughs> Jamie, before we let you go, uh, do you have any parting words? Come and see me live if you want to hear me be actually funny <laughs> and less than... Like, I've given the impression that I'm just very serious all, all the time, which I like, think a lot of comedians actually sound very serious when they're not. But we have an English-language monthly show in uh, Cafe Mascot at Calio called Used to Be Eric's Comedy Club. Um, and uh, I also run a queer variety show called Punch Up, Resistance and Glitter. And uh, that's coming up at the Valilan Consulis Theatre and also in the fall at Espon Copeland Theatre, Espo Theatre. Yeah. And I also have a solo show coming up called Cuck, all about trans fatherhood mm. and emotions. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. Now, that's a lot to remember. Do you have like a, a Facebook page or a, a website or something where we can go to get all these juicy details? You can find me on Instagram at happeningfish. And on that note, I'd like to thank you, Jamie, for joining the show. It was great to have you. Thank you so much. I've been delighted to be here. And thanks for opening up a window into the experiences of foreign background, sexual and gender minorities here in Finland. Appreciation is also due to our audience for listening in. And if you haven't already done so, please like, subscribe and rate the podcast, which you can find on Spotify, Anchor.fm and Apple Podcasts. And of course, do follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for us by name, Finland Through the Looking Glass. And finally, of course, we can't leave without mentioning the lovely proprietors of Enchante Café who've provided us with the perfect ambiance and refreshments for our insightful conversations. See you next time. Finland Through the Looking Glass is a podcast created and hosted by Denise Wall. Production on this episode was handled by Travis Glossop. Join us on the next podcast for more intimate and eye-opening conversations from Finland's quiet minority. I can hear the pastry crackling. <laughs> wow, that's yes, ASMR experience. Ha, 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 ha.